Scuba Obsessed, the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed, episode 432, is recorded live December 26, 2019. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the tropical side of December, Southwest Michigan. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm just so here sweating it out badly. Yeah. yeah of, course, we'll to... of course, not as bad as some people in Australia that we know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Derek was, he shared a little bit of warm temperature. That, that, that's what we had in Fahrenheit today. He had in Celsius. <laughs> 49 degrees celsius or 120 that is crazy i mean that's well, what we, that's when you start melting parts of your interior our exterior <laughs> yeah well, my, my exterior could use a little melting well yeah we were talking about that before the podcast <laughs> but <laughs> uh but you know it's, it's still not quite christmas when it's not cold that's I mean, if at least we had palm trees, you know, maybe, I yeah. don't know, I could think I was in Florida, but I don't know. It's crazy, though, considering that last week the guys couldn't dive the couple of the lakes because we had three to five inches of ice. Yeah, it's, it's, it's well, I've been driving by the lakes and they've had ice on them, but with this warm temperature, you figure that's got to be dwindling away. But it is, does get cold at night, so it keep it freezes at night. I I keep going down to the river down in St. Joe and Benton Harbor, and uh, I sure wish I had somebody want to go diving because I'm the water is absolutely clear. Uh-huh. Uh, let me rephrase that. I can see down three feet. <laughs> well, <laughs> for that, us in that river, you know, there in Benton Harbor side, three feet. If I can see that from the surface, that's pretty darn good. Before the show, we were talking about planes. Yeah. And my son just got back and he said, nope, they don't make those anymore. I didn't think so. So those are a little smaller than the smallest one we make currently. Did he, he say was, what this, did he say what it was? I, I just asked him. So uh, he, he may get back with me. But he did mention that the starting price for their uh, uh, small single prop plane was 500000 Yeah, you're talking turbo, I betcha. Yeah. And he, and he said that the, uh, uh, you know that plane you the plane news that costs you five hundred thousand. He says you can pick up for about sixty. He says it's yeah. the one seventy two, the one eighty two, and the two hundred six are the only ones that are still made. Yeah, yep. And it's it's the maintenance that kicks your butt on those. I mean, airplanes themselves are cheap, comparatively speaking. But you're mm-hmm. you got to get an annual that's minimum. Walking uh, to uh, Andrews University. You plop down $700 before they look at your airplane. And that's my airplane, the, the baby one. Yeah. And then it goes up from there. You got to get your medical, you pay for. Uh, you got to have your insurance, just like you do a car. And if you're smart, especially up here where it snows, you're going to have a hangar. So you're going to be charged for a hangar. And if you're going to be flying in this cold, you need a 
heater generation set for your aircraft. I mean, I have heaters on my oil pan cylinder heads, but you get an airplane and you breathe and everything fogs up. So yeah, you really need to sort of heat the airplane. So it's cost of owning it more than buying it because mm -hmm. you can buy a used aircraft cheaper than you can a used car. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. So as a cost save, what you do is you get in the scuba diving. Absolutely. And then you can probably buy a rebreather and maintain that for a little less than your plane. Well, if I sell it, maybe I'll buy a rebreather. <laughs> I'm just trying to get that guy to sell me that damn two-man sub. Ah, there I've you go. I've been after him for a couple of years to do that. Well, in the, in the meantime, a two-man sub could have come on handy in our first article. They're uh, they're pulling up that propeller and the rudder from that wreck that sunk off uh, Georgia coast. Cargo ship salvage crews continue to work in the capsized cargo ship St. Simmons Sound last weekend, removing the rudder and propeller to improve the stability of the vessel. Looking at the propeller, wouldn't that have been cool to dive on just to leave yes. something like that in the water? Yeah. Because you look at that, it's a single blade is taller than a person. I was curious how they cut the shaft. It looks like they cut the shaft from inside the ship. Oh. Doesn't it? Doesn't it? I, I, it, they didn't, I, it looks they kind, didn't take the prop off. Well, I can't tell. Is that a sling that they had under the shaft? I mean, was it mangled or because it's kind of got a funny. Almost like a wing coming off. Yeah, it's almost like it's split or something. So could I that have. That. Could that have been part of the hull and then the other? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure, but. I don't know either, uh, but that's my, that's what, how many tons was that, did they say? Uh, there was no indication ship condition deteriorated. The removal of about 130 tons of weight reduces additional stress in the ship. So I don't know if they've removed other things or if they're just saying that that propeller is 130 tons. I can't believe that, but I'm no. curious that I wouldn't buy a car down there anytime soon because they got what 4,000 vehicles yeah, for 4,000 have been sitting. <laughs> yeah. Um, plans to move the rack by cutting the pieces are still being developed earlier in the month. They pumped all the old oil and out of there. That was 320,000 gallons of mixture of oil and water removed from 26 fuel tanks. The empty tanks were steam cleaned to remove fuel residue. The fuel was pumped onto a barge and taken away for proper disposal. Wow. The only thing I'm curious about, I don't see any oil booms around it. I wonder if they did originally. I, I'm sure they did. And then now they probably got a clean bill of health because they're probably renting those booms by the day. And uh, as soon as they get them done, they could say, yep, pull them up. We're done with those. Well, the big deal was getting rid of oil, gas, and if they cleaned the, the uh, compartments for the fuel, which they said they did, most of the potential or the hazard, I would think, for pollution is gone. You wonder how long the lawsuits happen, because you got to believe that there's a bunch of people upset about this, because that's a you fairly think? new, a fairly new vessel. Well, looking at the boat, I mean, there's no rust on that hull. No, that, that looks really clean. Yeah. And then on top of that, what's, what's 4,000 new vehicles run you? Yeah. So they're going to try to get the whole thing done by 2020. Yep. If you click on that 2020, did you see the next picture? 
No, I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna click on that right now. I didn't but look at the bottom of that boat. That is so unique. I did not realize they did that. Huh. Well, it doesn't look like that should be able to support itself, does it? No. And it and evidently <laughs> it didn't. <laughs> yeah, well, it basically the one part looks like a flat bottom and there's an articulated section that seems to come down and go out. I'm gonna to have to look that up now and take a look at the body of that. That's that is really really weird looking. Yeah, but and it's weird when you get to that because I can remember being on you know 300 foot vessels before and thinking those are just gigantic, and this is 656. <laughs> yeah. And then we're not even talking like you know, your large order carriers or fuel, or the super tankers or. Yeah. Yeah, those are much bigger, but yeah, there's there's some engineering involved with it. It was probably wake it saved them point oh 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 gallons per mile or something, but with the normal lifespan of those that would make a big difference i like it, it has some uh, other pictures of the people working on the boat as it's tipped down a couple of different pictures i hadn't seen before i thought it was interesting that uh, last month they said they put down one to three inches of rocks next to the hull of the ve uh, vessel to prevent erosion the rocks have helped stabilize the ship which is sitting firm on the bottom with a little list that's fluctuating between 90 and 99 degrees. There, there must be a little bit of force with the tides coming in and out. So you, but you probably get like a little bit of a rocking suction. Especially since they've moved so much fuel from it and reduced the weight. Yeah, yeah it's probably a little bit more buoyant, but yeah, well. Drag it out in a little bit deeper water, make, let us dive on it. <laughs> I missed an opportunity. Somebody should be pitching that, say, you know, instead of paying hey. to chop it up. Yeah, it's already in the water. Yeah. And the fuel is gone. Yep. Steam cleaned. Yeah. How yeah. are you going to get that on a wreck at 900 feet? Not much. Yeah. And, and imagine, they didn't say what the, the boat, but imagine people being able to, uh, you know, dive in a shipwreck that's got cars in it. Awesome. That'd be fun. Well, scuba diving tourists didn't have some fun on this one. Uh, they were nearly speared. They said an aggravated, ag no, an aggressive swordfish repeatedly tried to attack scuba divers after it gets snagged on a fishing line. Tourists were diving off the coast of Chumpton, southern Thailand, earlier this month when they encountered a furious fish. Footage from one of the crew on the fishing boat shows how the swordfish swam frantically through the water after snagged on a hook. The threatened fish was seen approaching the divers, lunging at them, an apparent attempt to pierce a small mouth into the people, but it was pulled away by the fishermen before it could cause any injuries. Caught on the line of the angry fish, circled the boat before it was able to finally win a tussle, tearing the fishing line and swimming away. I'm but looking at that video, and uh -huh. they might have a lot of faith in that line because they're barely pulling him away before he pokes that guy with a sword. Uh I wouldn't want to be that diver. That's for damn sure. I wouldn't have. Uh, the, so they had a diver in the water to try and free him. Is that what was going on? I don't know, but just go on down. You're going to see the video. That freaking scary. Yeah. Holy smoke. They said the fish was so angry when it was caught by the bait. The swimmers could have been injured badly if the fish hadn't pulled away. Being pierced by the sharp nose of the swordfish is potentially deadly. Yeah. <laughs> Footage was captured December 13th. 
uh, in a 27, uh, 2017 British tourist dodged a death of a millimeter when he was speared in the throat by a separate swordfish. Maybe Ooh. it was the same one. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Good video. That's I'll when to, you don't want to be in there, though. Yeah. Now, one of these times I'll have to take a peek at these so I can see the video going. Yeah, the interesting part is that guy doesn't have a wetsuit on. So it he must be did. nice to be in warm, 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 warm water. Yeah, in the video, there's a diver way away from him, and this guy's on the surface. And it looks like a target to me. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that torpedo keeps going around and just missing him. Just missing him. I would just yeah. be swimming away from that fish, not towards it. Or stay in there. That's not worth it. <laughs> you don't need to be a picture. No, it's not worth the video. Yeah. Unless you're on the boat taking the picture, I suppose. Or the, or the video taking the video of the guy taking the video. Is that the one? Yep. Oh, I just went down further. Uh, it's got him up by the side of the boat. That's a pretty good sized fish. I saw the article where you just said about the uh, 2017. British uh -huh. tourist dodged death by a millimeter speared. It was a retired postman. Alan Pope was in a boat preparing for a snorkeling trip in Indonesia when the fish leapt from the ocean, stabbed him in the neck. Ow! The impact <laughs> threw the 57-year-old to the floor of the boat, snapped the tip of the fish's long bill, leaving six inches in his neck, blood gushing from the wound. It, it, you know, it almost sounds like Poseidon playing darts. Here, look at yeah. this. Now, said the bill about the same size and shape and sharpness of a kitchen knife narrowly missed all the major arteries in his neck. Yeah. Damn. That's, I, you You can't tell, is that lucky or unlucky? I, I, I think I'd it's say lucky. it's lucky. Lucky you survived. You can talk about it. <laughs> I just wonder if it affected his voice. That's why I don't dive in the ocean. Yeah, I, I know at the moment it happened, it probably did. He's he taking a few <laughs> octaves higher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here we wow. go. Sci scientists seeking cause of huge freshwater muscle dial-off. Dial-off. Yeah, dial. What are they dialing? Die-off. On a recent late fall afternoon at car... Afternoon. My goodness, I should have another drink. Freshwater mussels ranging from the size of a large button to the size of a billfold, but for the work they do for the ecosystem is enormous. They can filter about 8 to 10 gallons of river water each day, cleaning its algae, silt, and even heavy metals and making the whole river a better environment for fish, amphibians, plants, and bugs. Mussels also benefit the people who use the rivers as a source of drinking water. That's why scientists are working to quickly discover the cause of the massive mussel die-off and clinch and understand it's related to a similar die-offs in at least five U.S. rivers and another in Spain. The Clinch River, winding 300 miles through Appalachia, is home to 133 species of fish and is one of the most important rivers for freshwater mussels in the world with 46 different species, more than in all Europe. I always try to get people to call an area temperate Amazon because the biodiversity here is really off the charts. Biologist Jordan Richard with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service said, Recently, as he stood in the waders surveying the mussel population at Kyle's Ford, a rural community around 525 miles north of Virginia border. 
Richard slogged through the thigh deep water in search for pheasant shell mussels until recently the most abundant species on the river. He spots them easily, although to the untrained eye, they are not so obvious. Mussels bury themselves in the riverbed, digging with their single foot and leaving only a crescent of their shell visible. In 2016, Richard noticed the pheasant shells were dying in large numbers, the population dropping from 94,000 2016 to 14,000 this year on a 200-meter stretch. He estimates hundreds of thousands, possibly millions, have died in the large river. Richard found reports of similar die-offs over the year in rivers around the world, but he hadn't found any answers. Over the past century, mussel populations everywhere declined steeply due to pollution, habitat loss, and climate change, yet the current decline looks to be something different. Richard and his team of scientists suspect an infectious disease by, by comparing healthy pheasant shell mussels with dying ones, the team is narrowing down a list of suspected pathogens. All living things are chock full of microorganisms. They don't have any sort of map for what is healthy inside a mussel. University of Wisconsin, uh, Tony Goldberg is helping with the investigation. He specializes in wildlife disease of unknown diseases of unknown cause. And recently he's been busy. Along with invasive species, we're seeing invasive pathogens. Often it's coup de grace for the species that are holding on by a thread. Disease is a big part of the global extinction crisis, he said. For example, white nose syndrome was first discovered in a single New York cave in 2001. It has since killed millions of bats. Uh, and the chytrid fungus is responsible for the demise of tree frogs and about 200 other amphibian species worldwide. But Goldberg is hopeful that the freshwater mussel team, which, which includes scientists from the U.S. Geological Survey and a nonprofit conservation group, will be able to find the cause of the mussel die-off and a way to stop them. I see as a race against time, not an impossible task, Goldberg said. We're all motivated by the sinking realization if we lose these mussels, the rivers we all love are never going to be the same. The clinch, which is relatively pristine, the upper reaches, has seen 10 mussel species go extinct. It used to have 56, another 20 are on endangered, including mussels with evocative names such as fluted kidney shell, snuff box, bird wing, pearly mussel, and the shiny pig toe. Preliminary results indicate that whatever is killing pheasant shell mussels on the clinch is not culprit of die-offs under investigation in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pacific Northwest in Spain. There's not some mussel Ebola sweeping across the world to take out every mussel everywhere, Goldberg said. That also means there's no single cure for what's killing them. Across the pond, 26 European countries reported up to 90% declines in various mussel populations, particularly in freshwater pearl mussels. The same potential threats are at play. In addition to dams, invasive species decline the host fish, which help mussels reproduce. We know that the problem is environmental. Dams, water pollution, excess fertilizer, pesticides, exotic species, lack of water, etc. We also think there could be a pathogen, bacterial virus, that's making things worse. In Oregon, Washington, Emil Blevins is studying die-off of western pearl shell mussels in her role as biologist at the Xerces Society of Invertebrate Conservation. Blevins likens mussel bed to coral reefs in terms of their biodiversity and contributions to other aquatic life but she acknowledges they just don't get the spotlight for other big, beautiful species. Big part of our work is spotlighting how important they are because we don't value them. They're not going to be around. Yeah. I thought that was a very interesting article. Um, 
when you look at the quantity and the various areas, 26 European countries. And if you've got it through the river, and we've noticed a heck of a lack of mussels in St. Mm-hmm. Joe River, yep. in all of the uh, other than the quagga mussels and zebra mussels, what's in pawpaw? The big ones are gone. Part of that, I think, well, it's part of that is definitely due to the other ones because they get on top of it and actually close the shells of the other ones so they can't breathe or can't eat. But uh, it'll be something to start looking at in our local dives to find out, hey, is that happening here? I think we're getting some sort of die-off. And I wonder if it makes sense or if anybody's doing it but would just be a survey of the bacteria and viruses that are in the water. Because if you think about it, like when Europeans came to the Americas, how many people died because they didn't have any resistance? Could we be just be seeing the, uh, you know, version of that, you know, an invasive species comes in and not only does it bring a new species, but also a new, uh, susceptibility to, Right, bacteria, virus. viruses, what what other things, and then also we have tourism. You know, people are moving at a rate we haven't in the past. You know, I can, I can go, I can go to anywhere in the planet in less than twenty four hours. Yeah, just about. And I, and I can live there and absorb and carry bacteria, bring it back, and it doesn't take too many hours for it to find its way into the river, especially with floods. You know, all well, our what part people forget about is your bodily fluid, excrements, you know, use the toilet. Yep. It's going into the sewer system. Yep. That's getting into the waterbed right off the bat, whether or not you got a, a fixed sewer system or you've got the type that's got the um, the drainage fields. Mm-hmm. Yeah, septic tanks are, yeah, it, it's it's all going into the environment. And then you just compound, you have a, a wet season and things don't get filtered or broken down as much and uh it we're all circulating so yeah, i thought it was a very good article uh food for thought and give us something to look at a little more closely this summer when we get our dives out and i'll be taking a look at uh, the eq here in michigan to find out if that's on their agenda to be doing something with also we should almost reach out to them and say is there anything they'd like us to look for as we're diving? Well, you think last about... year they, they told us to look for the crayfish, remember? Mm-hmm. And they'd like us to know if there's any level of activity for the um, lamprey eels, because they were making a headway again. Mm-hmm. So they do appreciate any kind of feedback that you give them. Yeah. And then uh, for the first time in southwest Minnesota, evasive Silver carp is confirmed. Two invasive silver carp have been caught count, count, caught in southwestern Minnesota after essentially sneaking into the state through the back door, making the first confirmed discovery of the jumping fish in that area. They were netted only about 120 yards north of the Iowa border on the, the Ochi, Ochiden River in Nobles County. Nick Fourth Nauer, invasive fish coordinator for the Minnesota Department of Resources, don't you know, said Friday. The find is interesting, but for no reason for panic. State officials concerned the invasive carp could reach southern Minnesota via streams in the Missouri River watershed after a large number were found in 2012 and 
northwestern Iowa's Great Lakes, one of the state's most popular vacation spots. Officials believe the fish made a dash into those lakes during the flooding of 2011. But none have been known to been used the backdoor route into southwestern Minnesota until this week. Fortunately said, the river is a small stream dead ends in infiltration route through the Worthington at the Lake Bella Dam, which fish can't pass. There's been a lot of high water this year, so it's probably helped facilitate their movement up to this point. It's unlikely there's an established silver carp population in the area. After the first 28.8-inch, 9.4-pound male was caught Tuesday by local fishery staffers following potential sighting, the DNR dispatched a dedicated evasive species crew with a very large scene to thoroughly net the pool below the dam on Thursday. They found just one more silver carp, 26 inches, 7.7-pound male, out of hundreds of fish in the net. So while officials are hopeful that no more silver carp are left there, they can't be certain. Minnesota and Iowa DNR officials have worked together in several projects keeping the vase of carp out of southwestern Minnesota since they were discovered in the Iowa Great Lakes. They include electric barrier at the outlet to the lakes that's been effective for preventing new arrivals. Very few silver carp are now left in the lakes, uh, according to Kim Bogenschultz. We truly are finding only maybe one or two fish a year, so it seems to be working as well as we expect. No barrier is 100% effective, but we take 95%. Now, I, I have to stop here. In a small sampling, you're not getting them all, but if you find two in a thousand and you've got millions, does that mean and, you have hundreds? And there are how many? There were, what, six and nine pounds? That's a freaking big fish. That that sounds pretty mature. And I think how, how how many eggs does a fish put out? A carp, especially. Yeah, I I don't know why they seem to be downplaying that. I mean, we've been talking about this for fifteen years, and every year it gets closer and closer and closer and closer. Well, that means they're already here. Yeah, well, they're just think- not in sufficient numbers to start and say, "Oh my God, here they are." Well. Duh. Well, I, yeah, I, they had flooding. I mean, uh, Minnesota and Missouri, I mean, flooding this year, it's still not down. Uh, my friends in Missouri were, were telling me how much, uh, that they had the, the, the volume of water leaving the reservoirs upstream from them since the flooding happened earlier this year has not decreased one bit. They, they, they're just so much water. Uh, the Oshaden rivers, and I know I'm slaughtering the name, flows into Little Sioux River in Iowa, which in turn flows in the Missouri River, which has long contained invasive carp. The electric barriers in the Iowa Great Lakes span the creeks, the flow in the Little Sioux River. Dams in the Little Sioux normally prevent fish from swimming upstream, but they could reach lakes of the Oshaden, Bogenschultz said. But when sometimes dams flood, one of those dams is compromised this year when a high water cut a channel around it and created free access from the Little Sioux into the Oshaden. The only previous discovery of any invasive carp species anywhere in southwestern Minnesota came in 2017 when an angler caught a huge bighead carp in a gravel pit near Redwood Falls that's within Minnesota's river floodplain. 
That's 70 miles northwest of the New Discoveries in a different watershed that empties into the Mississippi River. Invasive carp species, also known as Asian carp, have been advancing up to the Mississippi River since they escaped the southern fish farms during the flooding in the 70s. The fish are vicarious feeders that compete with native species. Silver carp jump when startled, posing a threat to boaters. Individuals are caught occasionally in Minnesota, Wisconsin portions of the Mississippi, St. Croix, and Minnesota rivers, but officials don't think they've gained a permanent foothold here. The lock in the upper St. Anthony Falls dams on the Mississippi and downtown Minneapolis was closed in 2015 to protect lakes and streams further north. So what's that? Did you just, they said they lost me. Do you hear me, Mac? Yeah, I got you. Okay. Uh, So what's that photo that you've got there? That's one of the fish. That looks like a mature fish to me. And if you got a mature one, you got a lot of ones that aren't somewhere out there. Uh Uh-huh. And not to be concerned, I just don't understand that logic at all. You mean if I if I find a fish and it's six pounds and the other's nine pounds, that's supposed to be good? Yeah, I'm trying to figure out why they're downplaying it so much. It doesn't make sense. I mean, if anything, you it seems like you would, not that you want exaggeration, but you could say, hey, here's the things we've wanted to do. Why not let's do those as well to try and head this off because you're at you're at a point now that you don't want any more in there because if it's not already too late it it would easily be with not too many more yeah because you don't want to have a breeding population maybe they got lucky and they just haven't found each other but yeah nature always seems to find a way absolutely but it is it does seem like there's so many different things happening collectively environmental everybody says it's it's uh global warming but it's global pollution mm-hmm. overpopulation people keep telling me or i keep reading articles on it's not the population problem we can feed everybody you know but i take a look at the pictures of india and the streams and rivers and the population and in china and it's like to me it's overpopulation and over pollution not just the warming of the sun or the atmosphere making it warm, but look what we're putting in. That runoff from fertilizers, from chemicals, that's got to be screwing things up. Well, they say it's just because you can feed everybody. It's humanity as a whole. If there's one need you're not able to meet, then you're, you, you can't support the population. And the outcome is that you have uh, terrible political conflicts because everybody's fighting over limited resources or expecting things they aren't able to get. Yeah. So. Ain't no easy answer, that's for sure. No, no. South Carolina's Blackwater River divers look for sunken gold in the form of antique logs. And we've covered articles like this a few times over the year. They're saying that uh, divers in South Carolina are looking for a valuable haul that's nothing like shipwrecks or buried chest. Instead, the divers are scanned the state's blackwater rivers, stained the color of dark tea by vegetation they flow through. They're looking for sinker logs, raw lumber that's centuries old. The hunt is the dirtiest, hardest, and most dangerous thing you can do underwater, says Alec Balak, 
who's been scuba diving for 30 years. You get this filthy, slimy mud all over you. It's unbelievable how nasty you get. And it's the most fun thing you've ever done. Block uh, stated diving the Blackwater Rivers like Lynch in the Lynches near Bishopville 30 years ago and eventually started a business leading diving excursions looking for fossils and other artifacts with paying guests. A friend pushed him toward searching for falling pine and cypress logs embedded in the bottom of rivers. The logs are sometimes lost cargo from timber industries from centuries ago when harvesters would float their haul down rivers. In other cases, a tree simply uprooted and perhaps in a storm fell into the underwater waterways. Blackwater rivers provide an ideal chemical environment to preserve the logs because they're low in oxygen. The virgin cypress trees found in the river bottoms, which often fell naturally, are rich with resin that also preserves them. In the centuries they sat underwater, logs absorbed whatever minerals and other materials were being carried through the rivers. It's imbued them with a unique stain of colors ranging from bright reds to earthy green. Justin Harrington of Born Again Heartwood said he once pulled a log from underwater, cut it only to see bright yellow core quickly turn green. The wood oxidized in the first fresh air and encountered in at least a century. Harrington's business is based in Megat, which he primarily dives the Esto River. He used to dive more often, filling truckloads when they're sent out of state, but, this, but these days he hangs on to the wood he finds for his own furniture business. He now sees the rare wood as a unique product to South Carolina wants to see it stay here as it becomes a bench or table or other fixture. He's made some items for himself for the new children's hospital run by the Medical University of Southern Carolina, including a table, which is the centerpiece of a sixth floor meeting room, two benches in the seventh floor terrace with the benches. He chose to retain the twisted shape of the tree's root balls, carving just enough out of the center to make a place to sit. Balak doesn't make furniture, but he started sending the logs. He's found a group of local artisans, once they're milled and dried, he now displays their work for sale at Swamp Log Artisans Gallery in Bishopville. The backbone of the store is wood objects made from lumber we have recovered from South Carolina rivers. Then actually, Michigan's a big place for this type of activity. Nope, it is not. Not anymore. <laughs> so back, God, 25 years ago, uh, I'd looked into doing logging also because the rivers were used just for that. They made huge rafts floated them down all the navigational or navigable rivers, and lots of them were lost in the log booms. Mm -hmm. um, case in point is Duncan Bay up in uh, Sheboygan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Before the silt and stuff buried them down. So we actually looked at the, the aspect of renting an acre of land up there, access to a truck with a good boom, and doing some harvesting of the wood. Well, State of Michigan does not appreciate you doing that. And in fact, you can now, and I actually sent a note out to them last year saying, how many permits for underwater logging have you issued in the last X number of years? And it was, you know how many there is? No. Zero. Oh, they didn't issue any. They have not. Do you ah. know why they don't issue them? No. One. They charge you up the nose before you even get out there. You have to have a dedicated plan on what you're going to be doing, how you're going to recover them, what are you going to be doing with them. Then there's a cost that they will charge you per foot for the 
tree that you bring up. Uh, it's quite convoluted and uh, a lot of governmental, I won't say interference, but oversight to make sure they get whatever money they can get out of you after they cut your wrist. Okay, maybe I'm exaggerating slightly, but not a hell of a lot. They have well, not I issued any in the last six, seven years now. Well, because I saw that they did that, and uh, I did. I had seen some articles where people in Lake Superior, but maybe they were from Minnesota then, that was doing it. Uh, but uh, in Holland, uh, Hayworth Furniture was making a big deal that they were using the recycled wood uh, in uh, furniture. Uh, it's very hard to, it's very costly to get permits and to go through all the hoops in order to recover the logs that you find. Because one, you got to go find them first so you can fill out the permits to tell them what you're going to do, where you're going to put them, how you're going to drag them up. It's, it's quite extensive. And most people say, well, the hell with that. Hmm. Yeah, according to them, they haven't issued any in several years. So in the whole state. And I bet and, you they consider that a win. Oh, yeah. Well, they're preserving the natural materials so they can decay on their own in the bottom of the lake. Oh, is that the point? <laughs> I suppose. Well, I, I will use the, um, I know shipwreck preservation, blah, blah. Okay, I'm off of that mm -hmm. a little bit. But when you got a rubble wreck, and you know it's going to be covered up with sand, and there ain't a lot to look at. And I'll use the Frank W. Wheeler as an example. Back prior to 86, I know a lot of people who would go down, get timbers off, and they would make benches, tables. They'd use parts of anchor chain to make the legs. They'd put plaques about where the ship came from. On the bottom, they'd give um, the laminate a plaque that gave details about what it was how old it was, you know, information on the ship. So you've got a history and you've got this table made of it. And on the bottom, it's the information about it. And on the top, you got your nice little your plaque. You can't even find the remnants of that ship now. And if you look when it first sank, why is there no mast or anything like that? It's because it sank in shallow water when the ice came up. People went out on the ice to cut the wood down for firewood. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm, I'm looking now. You can't find it now. It's covered in sand again. How does the preservation really make a difference for that particular wreck or for the citizens of Michigan, Indiana? I don't see where it does. And I, I hate to say it, but look at those pictures of the of the barge and stuff that was uncovered by the sand shifting last couple of weeks here in Michigan. Yeah. Are they really representative of shipwrecks? Do you feel they're worth, would you, would you go out of your way to go take a look at them? No. <laughs> no. And, how much, and how much time would you spend if you did 10, 15 well, minutes that, looking at it? Yeah. You, you can't organize a dive to it because it doesn't make sense to haul a boat out to look at. Was basically a deck. And even the people who dive, I mean, Brandy Newey, you look at it, but it gets covered up in the next couple of months, next year or so. Is that really the best use for that wreck? 
or that those pieces of timber? Why can't somebody bring them up and turn it into money? Especially if they put the plaques and stuff on it. You got a little bit of history. Well, here in South Carolina, they say that they can. In South Carolina, you can. But remember, when we went down there, we had to get a permit to go shark hunting yes. or shark teeth. Well, they, and they so were making they're getting their pound of flesh. Yeah. In Columbia, for example, um, that's where I first met a few of our friends that I won't bring up their names, who actually found the uh, submarine in Charleston. <clears throat> uh, back when I was there, you had to get a permit to go dive in the Cooper River, Edisto River. And the reason being, if you'll take a look at some of the pictures during the Civil War, yeah, where some of the cannons, some of the items were lost in the river, they've not been recovered. And they don't want you going out there recovering them, even though they don't have the money to go look for them. But if you found one, they take it from you. Thank you very much. But me, I'm for timbering. I, I think if the guys are got the fortitude to go out there and bring it up, why not let them do it in the state of Michigan included? Yeah. Yeah, maybe we need to bug them. Well, I mean, why are shark's teeth artifacts? I mean, you got millions of them, right? They're not in, they're not scarce. scarce. It's to the hardy soul that wants to go out there and harvest them. And you're still helping the population. You bring them up and you sell them. And yeah. the state gets your tax money. People had to earn that money and they paid taxes on it then. So mm -hmm. give, give them an output that uh, something to do with that money is always beneficial. Yeah. Okay, my soapbox is over. Let's <laughs> get back to real work. Well, how about this one? The world's oldest scuba diver title is confirmed. Guinness World Records has confirmed that 96-year-old Ray Woolley has held on to his title for the third year running as the world's oldest active scuba diver, which I think once you've claimed the title, uh, you've got a good shot if you can stay alive and continue <laughs> diving. I mean, <laughs> you've... you've You've kind of narrowed it down, you know, because yeah, there's not too many guys who are 90 who's going to take scuba diving just so they can break your record. Right. Yeah. Because for me to break his record, there's a long delay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the Vegas odds makers are not going to be betting on me. I'm going to be the long shot. Well, you figure he's 21 years older than me. Yeah, so 96 years and three days. I'm still the world's oldest male scuba diver, and I am delighted that it has now been confirmed that I plan to keep going until I'm 100, so I shall dive again next year, he told the Cypress Mail on Friday. Wooly, and I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, dived in the Zenoa, uh, Zenaba, Zenbea, Zabua. I'll just make them up. I'll do all the phonetic pronunciations of those combinations of characters. Uh, in Larnaca Bay in Saturday, August 31st, 2019, a depth of 42.4 meters, which is not a uh, shallow dive by any means. Well, see, that's of... that's the other item. At that age, he must be in damn good shape because, I mean, I get checked out my physician all the time, and he has already recommended that when I'm down to 120 or so, I really might be cautious. Don't do it when it's cold water because your body is really not in the best shape for that kind of stuff. 
And he mm -hmm. says, and if you want to, not want to, he, he recommends highly that I use the nitrox, the geyser cast, to give me that little better extra edge because at that age, your circulatory system ain't that, is not pristine by any stretch. And so I can't imagine what his is. Right. You know, yeah, I, was... at that age, I don't know if I would be diving 120, 30 feet. No, I record, record I, he, or not. He, yeah. Well, and I don't think he needs to dive that deep to get the record. I wouldn't think he had to go 42 meters. Well, you don't remember when that kid tried to do it with the older guy, they're going to be a match pair, low and high. Yeah. They were going, what, 10, 15 feet? Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. You, you just have underwater to. Underwater get... is underwater. Yes. Well, good for him. I hope I'm even doing half his depth at that age. I hope well, to I make hope it to still... that age. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that too. Let me get that age first. But uh, hopefully we'll be able to talk about him for the next couple of years. Yeah. For sure. At least till 100. Yeah. And then we have a link to a website. Website lets you scroll to the bottom of the ocean to discover deep sea animals. And I haven't played around with it, but we'll have the link in the show notes and you can play around with it. But uh, what it lets you do is scroll down, discover different species at the different depths. And they said the deeper you go, the weirder it gets. And they show like an angler fish. Did I just lose you? No, I'm still here. I'm just uh, oh, click, clicking I, on the I link. think it's meat, uh, neat though. I think you can go ahead and say, I'm going to learn all the name, uh, all the species in the ocean, of which there are 490,543. And then they, I they do like the, I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I, I'm playing around with it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I do like the area where they talk about the facts and figures close to the ocean surface that they consider 98 feet. And the different, it's almost like a stratification of it, of, uh, of life changes at the certain depth areas. Of the 30 meters, there's a certain group. 100 meters, there's another group. And 600 feet, there's another group. That's quite interesting. I didn't know the green tree turtles can get down to 557 feet. The cockatoo squid down there about uh, uh, 900 feet. I like the infamous bobfish, blobfish. Did you see that part? I didn't realize that. The giant elephant seal explores depths that can reach to 7,800 feet. No. Really? That's what it's, yeah, it says. Well, I'm looking Spies at Emperor, Impact's website reveals. Yeah, Emperor Penguin, they've got at 537 meters. That swordfish is uh, sitting about 552. Uh, I like to say, the deeper you go, the weirder it gets. That's interesting. Monkfish, Pacific Cod. Did you look at the related articles under it? We're going to have to save that. Uh-oh. Russian fisherman catches uh, weirdest deep-sea creature in the ocean. Gorgeous photos simultaneously capture life above and below sea level. Solar-powered sea slugs. Huh. 
I'm going to have to save those and take a look at that. That looks interesting. That's worth looking into. Wow. It's just amazing how deep animals that uh, breathe air can get down. Yeah, not to mention the ones that live by those uh, volcano vents. You know, hydrogen sulfide and items like this are not based on oxygen, per se. That's amazing. Well, I'm going to have to save this one. I'll be back playing around with it. Yeah, I'm trying to save a little item right now on pod. That'd be 433. That way I can find it again. Oh, that was a good one there. Yeah. Gave us more so, food for thought. Yeah. So this next one, this is uh, some, I, I, I don't really put it in potentially cool scuba gear because I think, is is which which is the one that you said was uh, this, is it the ORB scuba diving helmet? Yes, that's the one that's a fun one that everybody's looked at. And it was actually down at the um, DEMA. And some of the comments about it down there is interesting. But if you haven't looked at an article, this is one you really want to look at. It is interesting. And then I like to look at the comments by the people who are divers, not necessarily tear it up, but say, how did you do blah, blah, blah. It's quite interesting. Did you go to it already? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it. So what this is, is it's the ORB two oxygen rebreather uh con a concept designed for a helmet-based closed circuit rebreather surfaced online called the orb oxygen rebreather scuba diving helmet the concept was created by thomas winship a third year student at Shaffordshire university in the uk the idea behind the helmet is to try reduce the amount of heavy bulky equipment used by a scuba diver to increase the overall experience whilst the only conceptual drawings right now. Winship has created a full-scale model to demonstrate the helmet and show how the branding might work. Winship described the design to design website uh, Tuvi. ORB scuba diving helmet is made up of several layers of pressure-resting material to stop ears from becoming pressurized. The outer shell and most extremities are made of ABS plastic with a matte finish. Equipped with Bluetooth technology, this product is designed to allow others to communicate and socialize underwater, sharing information about the environment. Yeah, it, it, I mean, I could see somebody who's not a diver going, hey, this is pretty practical. But when you think about it, it's not. <laughs> Well, I was looking for the, the ones I had before that had to comment on the people at DEMA who saw a demonstration of this in the swimming pool. Oh, they saw it at DEMA? Oh, yeah. That's why I was, I was trying to relocate the articles from DEMA. Even the article we have here, if you go down to the bottom and take a look at the comments, that's what makes it quite interesting. Yeah, because the article was in 2015, but there's still people posting on it as of this year. Yeah, and this was at DEMA. And it was in the swimming pool. So if nothing else, take a look for that. Look it up on the on the internet. And I think you're going to find it quite interesting. Especially if you have been thinking of 
rebreathers. And or if you're a rebreather diver, a lot of the questions they're bringing up is exactly what you were talking about. You know, mm -hmm. what about counter lungs? How can you breathe without a counter lung? And that was one of the big fallacies I looked at. It's like, you can't suck air in if you ain't got some high pressure air coming to you. Right. And that's what you need, at least to counter lungs. But well, the, the loop, the, what kind of scrubbers, what kind of sensors do you have? How do you clear yeah. your ears? Yeah. Well, and then they were saying that they, you did, they, they were going to protect you from needing to pressurize your ears. Yeah. That seems to be like a complete disaster to not do that. So it's a good article. It's interesting to look at and the drawings. And it's really interesting to look at the comments, especially the ones I want my five minutes back. <laughs> yeah. And then and we I, have. I, I re looked for the DEMA comments and I cannot find that for the life of me because it's one of those if you really want it, you can't find it. And then there's Sea Trek helmet diving. Take an amazing underwater walk. Uh, and what this is, is this is that, you know, kind of like a snuba type system. And they put it on your shoulders and you walk along the bottom and they've got uh, like a rail. And if you look at it, at, that's uh -huh. been around for a long, long time. The only difference is configuration. These are quite unique because they fit over your shoulders. They look really neat. Uh, the original ones that you used to have was nothing more than a big, it looked like a tin can on it's made of plexiglass. The uh, shoulder part was full of sand, so it would stay on your head. And you had a snuba, you know, the hose from the little compressor on the surface, feeding to it, and it would bleed out. And most of these, they don't go deep enough that you have to pinch your nose and clear your ears. But you can always put a pad and a helmet to put your face over it and clear your ears. But this is pretty cool. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a good introductory for people who might be interested in scuba diving. Because it's not going to beat scuba diving. And it, right. they would need to put it in places where you're not damaging the ecology because you're tromping along along the bottom. Well, if you go to the bottom photos on this, there's pathways on the bottom. They have handrails on both sides. So you're basically walking in a controlled area. Yeah. Doing your tour. But but they now, had to clear, clear that area to, to oh do yeah. that. Oh, yeah. That's, and looking at the pictures, it's pretty cool. Especially the other, some of the indiv interesting individuals who were photographed. Yeah. <laughs> A couple of them are not so, but a number of them are. Yeah. I think I'm looking at the not so ones. <laughs> uh, this would be fun for a pool party for someone who's not into diving. Uh-huh. This would be a good intro for them to go down, take a look at the fish. Oh, I just figured out what that loop on top of their head is for. It's got to be a handle so they can pull it up and down. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it'd be hard to carry. Right. I think that's for them helping them in and out of the water. Yep. Uh, but it's got to be pretty much neutral buoyancy on them, though. I would think so. And uh, they, they keep looking at uh, one of the resorts they're at is Excoret in the Riviera Maya, which I, I, that's where I did snorkeling. That's 
kind oh. of like i did snorkeling there and then uh with uh my dive buddy jim we both weren't divers at the time so we went and did snorkeling and took the wives well, i think it's a multi-generational tour minimum age is eight the oldest participant they have had was 93 says guests do not need to know how to swim the tour is as simple as walking and breathing guests can wear glasses or prescription contact lenses Face and hair remain completely dry. Participants breathe normally through their nose and mouth, no mouthpieces. The tour takes less than one hour of precious vacation time for a more memorable experience. Very so controlled. There, so so the one of the sales pitches for it is that it's so expensive you couldn't do it for two hours. I wouldn't say that. I want to see how much it costs now. If you went, if I scrolled down and found a click and I went to it, uh, it's almost like they're in a lagoon and you're yes. walking down up steps down to it so you can put the helmet on using that handle and you yeah. just continue walking and you got rails to hang on to. Yeah. Excoret is kind of a, it's a lagoon. And at the end of the lagoon on the seaside is a, like a, a walk bridge. And they've got it netted out. So they're able to control what's coming in and coming out of the lagoon. And then everything that's in there is, is pretty much a park. Yep. And then looking to the side, uh, they've got safety divers basically along the route. Let's yeah. see. The average selling price per tour is $89 US. Low end was $59. High end, $115. Uh, this was the area talking about how you make money on this. Uh, photo mm -hmm. and video sales, capture rates says 30% of the group. So three out of 10 want pictures. Yeah. Uh, the average selling price for photo package, low is $85. The low end is 35, high end 135. Uh, it's quite interesting in that kind of environment where it's warm. Good visibility and good weather. This could be a goer. Yeah. Now, what would that look like in uh, Lake Michigan? Not much. <laughs> <laughs> you you could probably do this uh, in some of our inland lakes, but but you'd have it'd be interesting because the bottom sucks around here. You know, you'd want sand at the least, or you'd make a path and put on mats that they could walk on. But uh, you can actually do this in certain areas, even, uh, you know, where we dive, Pawpaw, Forest Beach, start them off there, have a path uh -huh. that goes down the slope a little bit, use carpet on the bottom, wade down, so you could just walk around. Of course, we don't have the vegetation and whatever, mm -hmm. but we usually have a little bit of decent visibility. Not like they have here, though. Wow. Yeah. Well, you think about, I mean that that place when we did the snorkeling, yeah, there was two or three thousand snorkelers. Wow! In a day, I mean, it was just it was it was packed. I mean, it was busy. A I, nice I, place. I I was just thinking out loud after I I'm looking at the rows and rows of them. I wonder how they decon the helmets in between dives. Well, when I did snorkeling, uh. You rented the goggles, but you bought the snorkel. So that just eliminated them having to, you know, sterilize the snorkel. Yeah, yeah. 
So they've probably got some, I'm sure when you come up, there's a tank that is, and if anybody's been down there, because this is a popular resort, let us know. But my guess is that there is some sort of tank that they drop these in or rinse them off in to get them ready for the next people. Because you could sneeze in there and that would be like a nice little terrarium going. (laughs) And we talk about invasive species. I can see where you could do this in a, in a, a controlled environment for sure, yeah. but certainly not around here. I mean, these people are dressing, you name it. It's convenient. They can walk down, do it. They're done. Get their photo up. That's pretty freaking cool. I was trying to look at the map real quick just to see what it looks like. Do you realize they have one in Missouri? One of these facilities? Yeah. Holy smoke. I just looked. They've got one in Phoenix, one in Missouri, uh, one in New Orleans or uh, Louisiana. You have one in Tampa, Miami, and, of course, you get down to the Caribbean. And then Cancun's got a bunch of them. Wow. They are pretty popular. But you look at where they're at, good viz, good temperature. And tourist. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have to look up the the Missouri one. That's that's wild. I mean, you could use that in an aquarium. Yeah, you could. That would be the way to do it up here. Would be to have a large enough aquarium. Like you could do Shed's Aquarium. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You they could make some money there doing that. They yeah. really could. And it wouldn't be as cheap as uh, they had here. No, you'd be. I'd say Shed's Aquarium would probably be in the hundred and thirty to hundred fifty dollar range. Yeah, I'm trying to get this one out of Missouri, and I can't find how they're diving anything. Well, what I want to know is, you see how many people are going in there? Yeah. How are those hoses not getting tangled? I I looked at that too. I was trying to figure that out. I picture there's like so like ninety guys up above yelling at each <laughs> other with thick accents. Trying to keep the hoses from getting tangled. Okay, the or, one in in uh, in Nevada or uh, where did I say that is in uh, Arizona. It's mm-hmm. at an aquarium. Oh, Odd Sea Aquarium. So that makes it that's as controlled as you can get. And I just went to their Facebook site. See if we find some pictures. And, of course, they want me to log in. Damn it. I just want to look at stuff, people. I don't see anybody using it in their pictures on the Facebook part. But that's the one that identifies they seem to have it. Oh, they got Santa Claus wearing one. And I hear silence. Yeah, I'm just just looking oh. through the photos. Oh, did you see I'm Santa Claus it. with his outfit on? I didn't see Santa Claus, but... Family-friendly holiday activities, November 29th through January 5th. That's where Santa Claus has got one of those helmets on. Yeah, Springfield, Missouri, Scottsdale, Arizona, South Padre Island, Texas, Orlando, Florida, and Miami. Yeah, one of the pictures here is Halloween. The guy's got a skeleton costume on and a skeleton mask with the hood on. That's pretty cool. 
Well, it's nice oh. to know, talking about controlled environment, we talked about aquarium, bingo, somebody did. Yeah. And I and I said X correct. I, I actually I think it's the Shellha is the one that we did. But we didn't we didn't do C track, we just did the storm. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, is that there you go. Oh well. Yep. Well that I think that should do it for scuba the news. Those are some good articles this it's easy to get to a sidebar on that, though. I mean, I oh, yeah. sort of ranting and raving on the logging and then uh, downplaying the uh, diving helmet. I wish I could have found the Dima comments on it, though, if the guy's watching the, the swimming pool. Because he said the one guy was down there actually for 20 minutes, but he wasn't doing a lot. So you wonder how much air would you need in a small, shallow swimming pool to keep the helmet on and just breathe, mm -hmm. you know, using that kind of helmet, you wouldn't have to have a scrubber and stuff. No. You could hide, hide a spare air or two inside. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. There's, I by no means think that we have come up with all the designs that are worthy of doing and somebody's going to be able to improve upon it but i still want the these... james bond one that's what i want there remember you the go. mouth one that's oh, what i, I want i remember that one yeah i mean that'd be great for first responder can you that'd be great oh well pilots you, know, you have one in your plane you just you like pin it like a little uh pair of wings did you know that's where the um that other tank came from spare the... came from the spare airs, yeah. Right. They were used in side mounts, especially in helicopters. So if you hit and you rotate it over, you've got some time to put it, get your get your thoughts together to get the hell out of it. Yeah. And if I were flying a chopper over the water, you can bet your buttons I'd have one. Super duper one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the, the 40s. <laughs> yeah. 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 How about a pony bottle? Yeah. Well, like you said, if you got a minute or two where you can get your crap together, your, your mind back around what's going on, you can survive. It's when your panic is what to screw exactly. up. Exactly. Yeah. And that minimizes your panicking because you know you can breathe. Yep. So if, you, if you're in an upside down helicopter and you can get out to where you're not entangled and you're positively buoyant, then uh, <laughs> you, you're, you're in good shape. If I flew over the water a lot, and part of my survival gear would be a spare air. Because mm -hmm. when I hit, my mine is because I'm my gear is down, it's gonna flip me over. So you're gonna be upside down in your harness, and knowing you've got air is gonna give you time to and your your door is already open because they're gonna crack the door open for you. You hit, your chance of survival goes up. Unless of course it's this time of year and then they're gonna freeze to death anyway. Hmm. So, uh, we talked about before the show, we, we had had a little discussion about people going diving, but we did have some mud club members were in the river this week. Uh, they were also at, I, I thought it was Cora. Was it Gull Lake? Gull Lake. Thank you. Yeah. That was yeah. where Bob and them went. Yep. And they had decent viz too. Yeah. And yep. everybody was dry suiting this week. Mm-hmm. 
which is uh, very smart. And and you were saying that they they said the river was ripping. Uh, yeah, cold and ripping. And if you saw any of the pictures, you normally don't go in just downstream of the dam. But by the same token, on the right hand side where you, where you get in to launch your kayak, there have been some really nice bottles found in that location. We haven't spread that around a lot because we didn't want a lot of guys who weren't comfortable in that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is, uh, we've had, we've had strong current, it seems like all year. Yeah. But we need to get back in our area and go downstream. You know where I'm talking about. Oh, Check yeah. that out again. That's, that's high on my list for next year. Yep. Well, I'm hoping I'm off work tomorrow. So I'm hoping to get some more house stuff done. Because what's hold me up now is I need to get the this half of this house remodel complete so I can get back on the water. Well, I know Bob is going to be doing the New Year's Day dive at the quarry, uh-huh. and we are going to have one in the river um, on for New the, Year's night for the mud club. That you right. and Larry? Well, it'll be me, Larry. I think Mary Beth has already said she's going to be there. Okay, uh, we've got a couple of more because we said. If you got nothing else to do and you want to freeze your butt off and you want to be able to say, hey, I was out there braving the cold and winter and storm and helping these crazy guys get in and out of the water, come on down and I'll bring your camera. So we were yeah. trying to hawk a little enthusiasm and get some excitement. Well, it's like you guys all showed up when we did the, the dive a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. It sure made my life easier having people haul my gear up and down. I yeah. sure as hell appreciated it. <laughs> and getting dressed, it was nice. I had two people helping me. Yeah, you can't beat that. Oh, heck no. And, and you weren't even in sewage, so none of us got dirty either. That's true. I mean, hey, Mac, you want me to zip your suit up now? That's always a good reminder. <laughs> <sighs> I'm curious what kind of weather we're going to have, though. It's going to be warm, I think, because we're... We're getting to the point where you can almost predict what that is. Cause that, what day is that? Is that Tuesday? Yeah. Next Tuesday. Next Tuesday. So we're less than a week away. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I bet you got pretty good weather. I'm hoping so. Wouldn't bother me a bit. Well, do you have a safety story this week? No, I don't. I, okay. I spent my time looking at those articles. I, I saw the <laughs> clam and I saw the carp and it's like, God, that looks oh, that's, good. That's fine. Those are good. Uh, let's see. Yeah, we, I've, I'm going to try and get, I say that as I'm doing home remodeling, but I need to get back on the websites and do some freshening up. I've got, we've got a bunch of episodes in the can. So hopefully this one here, which we're recording just before the New Year's at the end of the year, will get uh, in our feed by, by the end of January. Cause we've got about four or five that I need to edit. So. Well, how have any kind of contributions been forthcoming since last week? Uh, we have had, uh, we're, we're, we're doing okay. We've got more people, uh, supporting the podcast than we have have in the past and they're smaller amounts, which I think is more maintainable in the beginning. We had a lot of large dollar donors, but not a lot of smaller and it's, it's evened out, but we certainly can continue to use the help. I just uh, paid the bill. Uh, the The web hosting 
I pay that annually. And then the, uh, the podcast hosting, which is the audio files, that's a monthly fee, which, uh, kind of creeps up each year for the services that we want. We've upgraded the audio quality of the recording. So you're getting, uh, kind of what I consider to be what good audio should be. I think we've had a lot better success in getting the show on the road. Mm -hmm. Once I can get on the freaking site, the site than we had last year. Yeah. I think think uh, it's noticeable. Yeah. So we're doing that and I'm going to try and get some more, uh, members, um, not members, but, uh, uh, people will do some more interviews. I like to do that. And then coming into this next year, I really want to do some video. So I got some ideas on some video versions. So, uh, but part of that is I've got to upgrade all my gear. I've got to upgrade my computers, my, I've got to buy some cameras and I'm not talking, I'm not going out for crazy, you know, no, no red cameras or even Sony's, but some, uh, decent cameras where we can do some good quality video. So I've got some, some ideas on that. Excellent. I just want you to know that some of the members that we have that are out there listening to us and commenting, some of them are really going to piss me off. (laughs) You know what I'm talking? You mean the ones that keep throwing uh, photos into the chat room? Yeah. The ones that talk about damn scallops and feeding their family. And it's like, and I love scallops. Oh, and then he puts the picture there, you know, it's like, just rub it in. Come on. Rub it in a little bit. Yeah. You're probably yeah, th- salt, salt my yeah, eyeball right now. Yeah. Here, here's a bad dive. <laughs> the, the, the viz was only like 90 feet. Yeah. I came back with 50 scallops for the family. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's like salt in my mm. eyes. What can I yeah. say? Yeah. And, and then he wants us to feel sorry about it's warm there. Yeah. <laughs> I love those pictures. I'll appreciate you showing them. Yep. I'd appreciate some scallops in the mail too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I can, I can already see the uh, CIA agents uh, and customs people calling you up now. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to know what's going on. Who is this guy sending you? What? Yeah, sure. Do you have any other pictures besides scallops? Like, some of the ones you're you're just it's like i want to go there and dive are they all edible yeah so if you're enjoying the show we certainly appreciate the support visit our website www.scubaobsessed.com click on over to patreon and uh, any of the plans three dollars or more will get you access to the show notes we're on twitter at scubaobsessed facebook facebook.com forward slash scubaobsessed and we're probably on some other platforms I don't even notice anymore. We're on Spotify now for audio feeds. So, and, and look us up in YouTube. I haven't done anything recently in YouTube, but that's going to be one of the outlets for when we start doing the videos uh, next year. The, the thing with the videos is they're going to be more scripted, <laughs> as if we're not heavily scripted now. But when I'm we're thinking scripted? of it, yeah. The, the videos are going to be more on a topic. I've, I've got two or three different premises for videos and we'll probably do a combination. Uh, so I'm going to play around with that, but first thing I get the house remodeled. So hopefully that will be done here and then I'll be in knee deep and or neck deep in robotic season, but I'm trying to get some of that. So I've got, 
like like I've got all this time, but uh, yeah, glutton, I, glutton, glutton. Yeah, hit me with a stick. Yeah. Well, I think we are getting to that time of the show. Let's see, are you ready? Yep, been sitting down. I'm good. Yeah. Well, the good thing about this year is that I had, uh, you know, I'm 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 looking back at the beginning of the season. And I said that my uh, New Year's resolution was to lose 10 pounds. So the good news, I only have 15 pounds to go. (laughs) Uh, But on uh, New Year's Eve, Marilyn stood up at a local pub and said it was time to get ready. At the stroke of midnight, she wanted every husband to be standing next to the one person who made his life worth living. Well, it was kind of embarrassing as the clock struck. The bartender was almost crushed to death. (laughs) Unfortunately, that might be a little bit of truth on that. Yeah, I I think a little little more than uh, really should be. So on that note, go out there and get wet. And stay safe.